conversations with wedding professionals as they share their stories, insights, and tips from inside the wedding industry. We'll chat about how to be authentic and that it's okay not to be perfect or run your business like someone else's Instagram. Let's dive into the privilege it is to serve our clients and discover the talented creatives that make up our community. When we share what we know and who we are, we better serve our couples as a wedding day team, as well as each other. Simply put, be fabo. Now here's your host, Bobby Brinkman. Hey friends and listeners, today's episode is all about photography gear and that's what topic you guys asked me to bring you somebody that could uh, share some insights, some tips and get a little bit geeky. So I'm thrilled that we have Bud Johnson on the other side of the screen joining me today and aside from his passion and love for Mount Diet Mountain Dew, he also shares my love and passion for teaching, educating and above all telling people stories through his lens. So as I said, Bud Johnson is an accomplished, amazing photographer and wedding educator, um, all about gear. He does a lot of technical education, so you definitely want to follow him. He's originally from Richmond, Virginia, and is now currently based here in Savannah, Georgia, but travels all over. Uh, Bud has been privileged to photograph weddings in uh, Europe, Iceland, and now he's covering the low country. But trust me, people hire him and his talent to go anywhere their love story is being told. Um, he is married to the love of his life, the hardest working, intelligent, kind, and always beautiful Sarah. And I must add that during COVID, she is doing an amazing YouTube specials on teaching what it's like to homeschool, tips for those people and those moms and those dads that never thought they entered a classroom to teach, barely wanted to be in there when they're learning, right? So she's doing amazing things, helping that and filling a need and being of service to all those parents that are at home. So she has a YouTube all about that. You can get more of that when you reach out to Bud. But, um, you know, he has four amazing children, and uh, his wedding photography is born out of his love for marriage. He's a passionate proponent of marriage and the joy of photography, so he married those two together. Um, he has the pleasure of not only photographing weddings, but as an evangelist, he has also had the honor of marrying couples. So as I said, he is a very well-known, very talented. He's the go-to guy here for technical camera gear. He's going to tell you why it's okay to have a love affair with your camera gear. And as I mentioned, he's also an amazing educator. Him and uh, Wendy Norman from Apportment B, a previous podcast episode, um, teach Instagram and workshops, and but also does workshops throughout Savannah. So all this information will be in the show notes. So everybody sit back. I'm thrilled and honored to introduce you to the Diet Drinking Mountain Dew cohort here in Savannah with me, the amazing, talented, all-wrong good guy, Bud Johnson. All right, listeners, thanks for joining us. And as always, thanks for hitting that listen button when you get ready to join us. But today we're going to bring you all about equipment. We're going to talk about gear. We're going to, know, we're going to tell you why it's okay to have a love affair with your gear. And the very talented Bud Johnson is joining me for this conversation. And guys, we're going to have, like always, a candid conversation. We've got about 21 of your questions. Uh, we will get to some of them, not all of them. But you're in for a treat with Mr. Johnson on the other side of the screen here, on the other side of the microphone. Uh, he is very influential in the city of Savannah. He's also Boy. very in influential in the wedding industry itself. <laughs> he's also an educator, very talented, but he's a good all-round human being. So thanks, Bud, for sharing your time with our listeners. And 
go ahead and tell them a little bit more about who is Bud Johnson and what makes up Bud Johnson and how did Bud Johnson get here? <laughs> That's a really good question. Uh, first off, I got to say, this is sunburn and I'm also blushing from that introduction. Goodness <laughs> gracious. Um, really, you really set the standard pretty high here. I hope I don't let anybody down. Exactly. Um, the first question you asked is kind of like, why my love for photography? And I think that kind of answers in summary about everything you just kind of asked there. Right. Um, and why it's okay to like love our gear and love the things that we do. And um, you know, for me, it started at a really early age. I just kind of found a camera. Uh, it turns out every time I took a photo and looked at the subsequent print, I could remember so much more of the day. I'm sure people can relate. You see a photo and all of a sudden a concert comes washing back or some friends come washing back and it just meant so much more to me. And I appreciated how that memory was kind of captured. I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to make this like a daily thing. So for me, I started like daily photo projects. I just kept taking more and more pictures and kind of developed a, an eye to make things more attractive or maybe that's not the right word, but more interesting to me. And just kind of spread from there. And then I kept asking myself, well, what new gear could I get? What new thing could I get to make it better? You know, assuming that I had met my, <laughs> my maximum and surely it's the gear that's going to unlock all these magical abilities, which isn't quite the case, but uh, that's kind of where it started. And I just kind of jumped in and jumped in and jumped in and, you know, all of the technical stuff and just shooting turned into, well, as I grew as a person too, I just loved people more. And it made sense to help other people capture the memories that I was also fond of proud of and it just kind of turned into this uh, hobby that eventually turned into this career for me to be able to share what I do and capture these memories for so many people around the world and um, I tell all people all the time I'm spoiled rotten it's it really is a lot of fun <laughs> what, oh, what so I do privileged. we're just so privileged yeah. to have the witness you know to to think that we basically do have that opportunity for what is normally the happiest day I'm never, I never say it's the best day because I think waking up the next day is pretty damn good, finally married and all yeah. the crap behind it's a good it, right? way to put it. So yeah. I, I think that we get the opportunity to, through a little box, mm -hmm. to just be a witness to this and know that we're the historians. Like we're preserving yeah. where it's at, what's going on. And especially now during COVID, we're going to be yeah. the ones that get to capture the mask. We're going to be yeah. the ones that go down in history like, where was that? Mm -hmm. Mom and dad, what was that all about? So we're part of history and we get to contribute to that. So I think as we grow in our careers, our gear does as well. And let's face it, when you first started, when I first started, it has changed drastically. <laughs> yeah, um, quite a bit. Getting professionally, bud. Uh, so actually I shot my first wedding when I was still in high school. Yep. Um, that was 2004. Um, so yeah, about 16 years I've been shooting. Now that was you know, one wedding that year and then maybe one or two the next and just kind of slowly built up from there. And I was that Craigslist special guy. So, I've, you know, $500, I'll do whatever you want. I'll bring everything I own and we'll take as many pictures as possible. And uh, from there, it kind of started, I was shooting um, uh, male modeling photos. I was working for a gym and it seemed like all of the girls that were working out and working on their body could get photos and whenever they wanted. And all these poor guys were working super hard and they couldn't get any love. So I said, hey, Bout pal, I'll shoot your photos for this much money. And that kind of took off. Um, yeah. So it's, it's the, the love for gear definitely kind of lives throughout that entire experience. For well, sure. at what point is, did you decide that, you know, when you first started, I'm like you, I started in high school, but way back in the eighties, uh, yeah. way that whole other decade prior to all the other stuff where you actually had to yeah. put film in the back of the camera and lug Me it too, on your yeah. shoulder. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Those days. Um, so, you know, at what point, when you knew you were going to start collecting and making a living, 
-hmm. Was it at that point that you knew you needed to invest before we get too far down the year line? But is that the spot in your brain that said, hey, I'm collecting money. I'm challenged with a great responsibility. I need to start investing in legitimate gear. Yeah, you know, I think um, my, my growth as a business and my growth as a photographer also was along the lines of my growth as a man, as a husband, as a friend. So I think as I grew in my marriage too, like there were a lot of times when I was young and happily married, we both would have our jobs and we'd kind of squirrel away cash and we had our hobbies. And that's kind of what I was doing was just kind of taking some of my own money, buying gear here and there. And then kind of like, Hey Sarah, I got this new rig that can do X, Y, and Z. Right. And so it wasn't necessarily like, Oh, I've got a job and I got to get the right gear. It was just, Hey, there's gear out there. Let me start doing this. And as it got more expensive, of course, I didn't want to be that, that guy that's like buying stuff and not talking about things. So Sarah got involved. We decided to make this a legitimate business. And then it just kind of took off from there. So I wouldn't say that the business necessarily inspired the purchases. Almost it was the other way around as gotcha. I was purchasing and my love for it increased. And you know, just the, just the junk that I started to acquire, I started to realize what was good and what was bad, what was worthwhile, what wasn't. And um, because of that, it almost inspired the business. Maybe I had to justify some of the purchases a little bit. Like if you buy a $2,000 camera, can I then book a $2,000 gig? And so once those things were feasible, it just kind of took off from there. And that was one of my questions. One of my questions was, are you one of the gentlemen that, and talented artists that fall with the, you can have anything in your hand to create a photograph or better equipment, better photograph? Yeah. And see, I don't even like the word better because they're just different. Like right. you could have, you know, I've got behind me a Leica camera, you know, that thing brand new was an exorbitant amount of money. You could have most expensive equipment and the highest quality caliber brand and still do nothing with it. Be kind of a dud photographer. Um, so it's just not necessarily even better. It's just different and kind of, I like to explore different types of gear. I'm sure we'll talk about that shortly. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I think where if you've got yourself a decent ish camera, yeah. you can do anything with it. Um, yeah, of course there are some, some limitations, you know, off camera right. flash brings up a whole, whole new thing. And then, uh, you know, of course, focal length, if you're shooting really wide or really, really, um, you know, zoomed in. So there's a lot of different options, but yeah. Well, and, and I think we're now at 2020, especially the, you know, the prosumer camera gear has mm -hmm. all become very manageable and obtainable. And oh, so. Yeah. You know, back in the days, I, mean, I remember somebody be like, oh, $29.95 for that camera. Then I got to put the film cost in there to yeah. the very first digital cameras that came out that were 20 grand. And you're like, yeah. oh, my God, you know. And so now we're way down there for consumers to buy a pro level camera to mm -hmm. get the results. And let's face it, we have iPhones now. So yeah. I think that's a really good thing for our listeners to understand that, you know, we're both been in industry for a long time. And we both are from the you have to have the heart and passion to do this. The tools yeah. matter, but they're not, they're not what's going to get you their longevity. They're not what's going to build your career. You know, the other I, myth is, the other myth is, uh, is uh, guys always have to have the latest and the greatest. The guys always <laughs> yeah. have to have that. So I'm glad right. Sarah's like, no, well, let's yeah. make a business out of it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. For, it wasn't so much like, let me get the latest and greatest. In fact, what frequently what I would buy was used because I am such like a, a penny pincher. Uh, I have no problem spending money. I just want to be very intelligent with it. So I used to buy a lot of things used and I'd try things knowing that I would flip them or sell them or maybe even sell them for more if I could get them kind of in a busted shape, but repair them in some sense, right. which, you know, repairing camera gear sounds like you're dealing, doing open heart surgery sometimes, but really it can kind of be easy. So I'd buy old lenses and try them out, pass them around, let friends borrow them, use them, buy them. 
so yeah, I was trying to be intelligent rather than let me just buy the newest thing that B and H emailed me to buy. Right. Well, there's, there's an old saying, I'll date myself, but you know, back in my day, you know, we always said that you marry the lens and date the body, you know, yeah, because exactly. your lenses, your glass will last yeah. forever. So, I still you know, subscribe to that. I think that's, yeah. And I think that's a great way to talk about that. So let's segue in a little bit to, you know, for listeners that are listening in, I'm going to do the horrible word of assumption and we're going to assume that you are <laughs> in the wedding industry. Um, if you're a newbie coming in, welcome, but we're going to, we're going to jump a lot of the beginning part of it. And we're going to talk about what a wedding photographer needs to have in order to shoot a wedding. So give us a general idea. The number one question we always get asked is, Hey bud, what's in your gear bag? Yeah. 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 I get that a lot. Yep. Um, so where do you, do you want to say like what's in the gear bag in yeah. entirety or do you want to start from the beginning? Of what you need? Yeah. Okay. No, just, I think, I think, where do you think somebody needs to start? Let's just okay. assume that everybody has a couple lenses and body. We can okay, talk cool. about format. We can talk about film, but you know, yeah. you really are one of the go-to gear guys and everybody out, you know, Tina will link back in the show notes. He has a great YouTube and he's like, I told you, you know, aside from all the Mountain Dew that he drinks along with me, <laughs> He does invest back in his business. He exactly invests back in his business and he does it the right way. And he's a teacher at heart. So he wants everybody to succeed. So we'll link back to his YouTube, but you got to follow him on Instagram for his IG. So, you know, wherever you would like to start, I mean, you're the pro here. I yeah. leave you. That's why I wanted you on the show. Okay. So what are you thinking? Yeah. And that's a great question. So for me, it comes a little bit, you know, we're taking a few things for granted in terms of right. like style and ease and um, budget and some of those right. things. I'll kind of tell you where I've landed now and kind of why I have done what I've done. Um, that's not to say if you are getting there, maybe your budget doesn't allow you quite the um, range of lenses or flashes that I use, or maybe um, all that stuff would be pointless for you to own anyways, because right. you don't know how to use it all yet. You know, maybe you're still learning some of the basics, which is perfectly adequate as well. But personally, for, I, for me, on a wedding day, I have at least two camera bodies. And that's for a couple of reasons. One is an instant backup. If something dreadfully were to happen, if it freezes, I was shooting a wedding recently, about a year, maybe less than a year, torrential downpour. And I made some rookie mistake of changing my memory card while it was raining. <laughs> I was just like, oh, well, that's as a dead camera. It didn't kill it, kill it. But it's like, well, I can't trust now. So the camera just had to retire and my other camera came in. Now, of course, my clients didn't even know. They'd didn't even bat an eye because I didn't bat an eye because there was right. nothing to worry about. So having two cameras is, is one like backup system, but also ordinarily I have like a wider and then a tighter. And what I mean by that is like a, a focal length of like a 35 millimeter and then maybe a 70 to 200 or a hundred millimeter, something that's going to get me a little closer and a little different look and compression. So having those options on me at all times allows me to, to see an environment and then try to just squeeze everything out of it. Cause I'm sure we can all relate to the five minute portrait session in a parking lot of a venue. That's like, Hey, right. this is the only time you have a couple's portraits. Well, it's really hard to do if you've only got, you know, a single focal length. Um, and even that I say with a big asterisk beside it, cause sometimes a single focal length pushes yeah. you creatively, uh, creatively, but you know, having the options is nice. So two camera bodies, a couple lenses, um, I'm a big fan of prime lenses. Personally, I have some zoom lenses for particular times, like during the ceremony, maybe during cocktail hour when I don't want to intrude, or maybe I haven't broken the ice with all the guests yet, even though by cocktail hour, I'm pretty much best friends with both sides of the wedding party and parents, but maybe I haven't met all the guests yet. So for me to walk in there with a 35 millimeter and shake their hand while they're all just trying to 
get some reprieve from the Georgia heat. Maybe not, that's not best. So some sort of long lens. Right. Um, so a couple lenses, you know, something kind of wider, something kind of longer, have your two bodies, and then, of course, a means to carry them. So I've started using a big um, cart <laughs> to carry all my stuff. Right. I threw my back out last October. Um, I just had a crazy month of travel, and I was pulling the Pelican case, put it in the airplanes, and somehow pulled my back. And uh, so I became the cart guy. Sarah likes to make fun of me now because I look <laughs> like some yep. – older guy but uh walking with my cart and my bags and my lights and everything so it's really nice even if i have an assistant or an associate or a second for the day um it's still nice to be able to carry everything so even if you have all the gear in the world if you can't get it to the place securely you know you're going to find yourself leaving stuff at home um yeah so this kind of that idea of this propensity to carry are you willing to carry the stuff that you own and then it's worth getting if you're not even going to carry it and don't don't own it it's just uh, an asset that's losing value um over time well, and you touched on that too. It's, you know, no matter what profession you're in, wedding, porch, whatever, yeah. you're going to have to have a backup. And your yeah. backup can always be a backup as you improve and you grow. But I, I yeah. think I love the fact that you, re, you know, explained to everybody, this is why you need to have two lenses. But there's, a, let's face it, there's a lot of people that want to have 85 lenses. There's a lot of people that yeah, yeah. keep both cameras both ways. Yeah. So as, you, as we're out with our gear, and you have them on your bodies, and we, our bodies do take wear and care, so does the gear. So yeah. as you've kept your gear along the way, um, what's your take on two bodies, couple lenses, how do we keep adding? How do we know when to add? When we get more yeah. work, when we want to be creative, kind of what's your Bud Johnson's guideline for when to keep your set growing, and do we need to grow it? Yeah. So <clears throat> truthfully, every year I kind of have my own, you know, breakdown. So I'm able to look at a lot of my favorite catalogs, my favorite weddings. And, you know, in Lightroom, you can say like, show me all the metadata, show me all the pictures I took with this camera, with this lens and poof, it'll show you. And because I rate all my stuff with my workflow leading up to editing, right. I can see real quickly like, oh, wow, I took 85% of the entire wedding at 35 millimeter. Well, for me, that tells me 35 millimeter needs to be front and foremost in my camera bag. It's always going to be on my body. It's just something I don't have to think about anymore because I use it a lot. I did that and I saw I was using my 50, my Canon 51.2, um, like 85 to 90% of an entire wedding delivered. And part of me is like, okay, this is kind of nice that I've found my, my rut. I'm good at this and I can continue to shoot almost blindfolded. Um, but instead I sold the lens. I was like, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want this lens anymore because I was in a rut and I felt like my photography was in a rut. So that one I actually, I sold in favor of buying some other lenses. So for me, it was a creative decision, not right. necessarily a business one. And I wanted to get out of what I've made myself do over time and try something else. So for me, it was more of a creative push to try something. Um, when it comes to shooting weddings, goodness, I think you can shoot an entire wedding with either like a 50 millimeter and a 100 millimeter or a 35 millimeter and like a 135. Like you could really do it with just two lenses. Um, but because I found myself in this middle zone, my photos just weren't compelling anymore. They were intimate and they were you know, special for the couple, but they weren't compelling to me. So that motivated me to try some other glass. Um, so sometimes it's a business decision. Sometimes it's a creative one. Personally, it's probably more on the creative side. What can I create with some new substance, new equipment? So we'll interject right here before we go back to the equipment. Listeners, you heard him say that he made a decision based on his rut. So now we live in Instagram world. 
So everybody falls in love with Bun Johnson on Instagram. And for all this year, we've seen this work. And all of a sudden, the pictures are getting a different vibe. The pictures are getting a different look. Good idea, bad idea. Is it important to change for your couples as well as changing for yourself? Because let's face it, you want to avoid burnout, you better be changing creativity along the way. Yeah, you know, my couples never said, hey, hey, bud, um, you're shooting a lot with a 50. Can you change it up? <laughs> like, no, no one ever would, would even think to say that. Maybe if I've got a really dedicated photography couple, which I tend to shoot a lot of other photographers, uh, which is always flattering and extremely uh, a lot of pressure <laughs> as well. Right. But, um, you know, no, none of my clients said, hey, pal, you're really getting in a rut. You should change things up. It was really just for me. Um, you know, I saw some of the photos that inspired me. So I always try to do like this yearly rundown of, photos I've taken and also some of my favorite ones, the ones that I've saved, the ones that I've downloaded, the ones that I've liked. And you can go on Instagram very quickly and say like, show me all the photos I liked. And I started looking and researching them. Man, these are wider. These are different. There's something, there's maybe compression in the photo. Well, how do I get those things? So sometimes it's not just about evaluating yourself, but evaluating other people too. And say like, if, if I want my work to, to change or to morph or evolve, or maybe just include a wider range of abilities, Sometimes that does result in buying new gear. It doesn't always have to, um, but it definitely can. So we have the basic kits, two bodies and some lenses. And I yeah. agree hundred percent. I think you can shoot a, a wedding with a 35 millimeter 50 because our legs are our tripods. We bend up yeah. and down to get the height and the difference. So there's always a way to figure out how to deliver your product. And the second thing I'll agree hundred percent on is couples actually have no idea what we do. They just think we take a better picture with a big black box than we do with our cell phone. And then some of them really piss me off and their picture comes out better when they're standing right next to me. Right? So now <laughs> I'll tell you what, the, the cell phones we have these days, oh, they're, they're 10 times better than the, the cameras that I use. My first digital cameras were embarrassing compared oh, yeah. to this, not compared to my gear compared to this. It's right. embarrassing. Oh, exactly. And, and you know, that's why there's iPhone photography classes out there. Yeah. So we have our basics. So now let's shift a little bit and talk about, let's talk about format and brand. Uh, okay. For most of you listening around, we know that we have a medium format people that have might been moved to digital. So yeah. do you shoot film sometimes? What yeah. format? And then yeah. now let's talk about brand. How is important to brand? And for the record, you know, he's going to probably mention some things here that we'll link back. He may or may not be affiliated. I may or not, may not be affiliated. We're not telling you, you have to go here. This is what Bud Johnson, that's why he's here. This is what he chooses to get his job done. So he is offering his professional opinion. So save sending me the letters of why we talked about one brand, versus <laughs> right? I get those all the time, right? Yeah. So, so now we're going to talk about format and then why you're choosing what you're choosing. Don't go into mirrorless yet. Let's hang yeah. and talk. I will tell you um, one thing about the whole brand, like um, ecosystems and things. Uh, if you do decide to align yourself with a brand, make sure it's one that's willing to um, also stick its neck out for you. Yep. For instance, the, the lighting company that I um, am sponsored by, front, first and foremost, they're always like, look, we don't have to use ex exclusively our flashes. We know that you need to get a job done. So having a company that's willing to say, look, you can promote us and share and please tell people when you do use our stuff, but they're not like, don't ever mention this. Don't ever mention a different brand or you're dead to us. So I'm pretty picky when it comes to people I do associate with. And for me, it's going to be someone who's willing to, to not lock everything down because right. my stuff is all over the map. Just within arm's reach, I've got medium format film and Leica SL, you know, really expensive digitals and 
lenses that are $50, lenses that are $3,000. Um, yeah, so when it comes to brand, just kind of jumping in there, my workhorse, the stuff I use the most more than anything else, just by numbers, not necessarily even by preference, just by numbers, are, is um, Canon. Canon cameras and Canon lenses. Um, Sigma lenses is next to that, and then Leica lenses is maybe even above um, the Sigma in terms of quantity, um, how many photos I take with it, how many I deliver and stuff like that. So for me, there's no like I'm Canon and Canon only or Nikon and Nikon only or Leica and Leica only. Um, so I'm kind of all over the map. When I, I do occasionally shoot film from time to time, I particularly um, like Polaroid pull-aparts. So before they were extinct, I bought a boatload of them and I have a dedicated freezer just for them to keep them as long as possible. Um, so I actually have a medium format camera. Actually, I'll it's this big honking thing. Bobby, this might look familiar to you or you've seen one. But the, uh, the Mamiya RC67, and on the back, I just have a Polaroid back for it instead of the 120 on this one. And I can put pack film in there and still shoot that. So I have some like personal projects that I still do from time to time. I took this thing all the way to Iceland one year and did a personal project just on this, which was kind of fun. Um, so yeah, so film is really cool. This, of course, is a medium format film for anybody who's listening or doesn't doesn't know what it is. Um, yeah, so this, in terms of ecosystems, film, digital, Canon, Sigma, I don't shoot Nikon anymore. When I very first started, I shot Nikon, and I shot um, uh, Nikon on film, really, so the, all the FD glass. And then as soon as I went digital, I never touched Nikon again. <laughs> I just right. don't like the ergonomics. It doesn't really speak to me much. Um, their new Z6 is pretty pretty sweet, though. Um, but yeah, I just that's probably the one like blind spot. I just don't touch any Nikon stuff for whatever reason. Well, and you touch on that. It, it's how it felt in your hand. So yeah. that brings in the love affair. I mean, mm -hmm. you need to have that relationship with this gear. And, yeah. and we joke tongue in cheek about it. It's a love affair, not because we wouldn't invest on the money in, but mm -hmm. we need to be able to count on it. I, I you know, I'm sure yeah. you hear it all the time. Throughout a wedding day, people say, man, you know, you, I don't see you look in the back of your camera. I don't see you, I don't see you playing around. You know what? It's an extension of me. I mean, yeah. it, it, it falls to my side of my body. It's on my wrist. It's just there. I don't think of it. So therefore yeah. I'm able to do my job because you get, you know it. So the love affair falls into what feels comfortable. You know, we go out and we meet people and we meet couples. We fall in love with a couple story for us to tell. Our gear has to be that way too. So when you try something and it, man, I know right away, you know, don't like the way this fits. This is going to be a beautiful picture. It's, I'm not going to be invested in it. So it won't, sure. it's not going to do what I need it to do. So that's yeah. the love affair part. So you decided on Canon. Have you changed Canon moving up this, you know, moving up the ladder with Canon? Have you hung up with this MD3s or where have you sat with your Canon? And then where yeah. do you think you're going to move with your Canon? That's a good question. So I started, well, my very first like digital wedding was a Rebel XTI, which was the bottom rung of a consumer level camera and it had a L bracket with a Minolta flash hot sync into the, it was, I looked like a 1950s TV reporter. It just yep. looked goofy. Um, so that was kind of like my first foray into Canon. So I started pursuing Canon I jumped to the 5D line immediately, bought the 5D classic first and then the Mark II, Mark III, and then Actually, I really like the 6D um, for its small form factor because I traveled so much at the time. So then I jumped to the prosumer line of the Canon 60s. And then from there, my world was open to the world of Leica. And a friend of mine told me uh, Leica was like um, uh, using a Rolls-Royce 
but you were a taxi driver. Like it was expensive for no reason and you were just kind of burning right. the use out of it. Um, but for me, it was more than that. It wasn't just like a, a status. It wasn't just a, a name tag on my camera. There was actually benefits to the glass that I decided to use. So um, I kind of switched and I went heavily into the Leica scene. I bought a lot of their um, rangefinder uh, camera bodies, the M9, M240. I never bought the M10, but I loved it and used it some. Um, of course, the SL body too. So I'm a big, huge fan of Leica for a lot of things, but I know in the wedding world, it's usually either out of reach in terms of people's budgets or you know how they allocate for their ROI, what they're going to get. Because you can right. buy, for the price of some Leicas, you can buy an entire wedding kit, maybe even two wedding kits right. and, and have not only your own business, but even an associate photographer for the price of just getting into the Leica world. Um, so I, big fan of Leica. Uh, they were really good to me too. They they sponsor workshops and they they want to keep a pulse on the wedding industry, so they're always happy to help and jump in. Um, but the look that the glass in particular gave me, um, honestly, is one of my defining like features. It's what I lean on. There's one particular lens. I brought it. It's um, by far my favorite. It's the Leica um, 50 millimeter Semilux, and it looks tiny. Like this cute right. little lens. Um, but this guy is, is magic. It, it creates something really special. So once I got into Leica, learned its benefits, then I was like, well, what if I could capture those benefits, particularly the glass, but maybe bring it back to what I'm maybe more familiar with, or maybe more in line with my budget at the camera lens or the, uh, Canon ecosystem. And once mirrorless came involved, and I know we could talk about that in a bit, um, it opened up a whole new realm of possibilities for older lenses with more character and of course all my Leica gear too. Um, so it's been nice kind of merging those two brands together. So how do you know, again, you you, you love Leica, we love that look. And I think again, that's that love affair. I mean, yeah. that's one thing that makes me love photography is what I can do with that. And I do believe that there are, there's products and services in all industries. That's just, mm -hmm. you drive a certain car because the way it makes you feel. Doesn't yeah. make you all that much better, but it's a feel. So you yeah. have these cameras and you've invested this money. What is it like to take these workhorses and how important is it to have a workhorse gear for yeah. what we do on wedding days? I mean, putting them down, the weather, how important is it that it might not be the most expensive camera, but man, it's, it's a good solid piece of hardware. I always joke. I tell people don't buy used gear for me <laughs> because right. I beat it up. I beat it to death. Um, and I still sell a lot of used gear. So it's not, obviously it's kind of tongue in cheek, but I treat mine like a tool. I mean, uh, for me, when I say tool, I think of a hammer. And a lot of times my cameras double as hammers. I'm bumping them into stuff or doing things with them. And for me to have a reliable system is first and foremost, because my wedding day has to be seamless. Every photo shoot has to be seamless. I can't say, oh, sorry, there's a glitch. Let me run to my truck and figure this out or Googling on my phone. I don't know why the intervalometer's cut on. It just, just randomly cut on. It's taking a picture every five seconds. Smile, <clears throat> you know, because those things can happen, I, I can't have that happen professionally. Plus, I think it kills the mood, which kills the photos and all that fun stuff. So having something that really is a workhorse that you're not afraid to beat up. I remember I was hiking one time. Um, I was teaching a workshop and I was literally like, hey, we're all going to cross this river. Everyone be careful. And as I said that, my hands, my, just, my camera just fell out and fell into the river. And I literally was like, so nobody do, do this. Right. I just pulled it out of the river, blew it off, and actually shot the rest of the entire photo shoot with that single camera. It was fine. So, you know, finding cameras that can handle some of that abuse was really important to me. Um, and that's kind of where I liked the Leica stuff because particularly the SL with the, with the L-mount lenses, 
it's a tank. You can run over it with another tank and it might break that instead of the camera. Like it's a right. monster. So that was uh, beneficial when I was traveling more. But yeah, having something that you're not afraid to really run ragged and, and shoot. I'm a, I shoot a lot. I'm an overshooter. <laughs> People, uh, my other photographer peers kind of laugh at me because I'll shoot 20,000 photos in a wedding. Um, so stuff that like shutters will explode, you know, you'll have to have a backup for that when you're, when the, the mirror stops flipping and all that stuff with DSLRs and yeah, there's a, there's a lot to, to be aware of and I'm not afraid of it. I'll beat it up to get the, to get the photo. So now we have, cause we have a very expensive paperweight if you're not careful. I mean, you can yeah. really have an expensive paperweight. So yeah. now we have your cannons. We're just going to stick with the cannons cause that's what we're talking yeah. about. So Perfect. now we have the cannons and we have the gear and we have all, all the things that go with it. How important now is it that it's manually overrode, that it has bells and whistles on it? How many bells yeah. and whistles do you have to have? And again, it's the love affair with the gear. It's yeah. okay if you want that, but yeah. that's something that's needed. Well, it's funny <clears throat> that you say that too, because a lot of people, they'll get really fancy cameras that are top of the line and able to do a lot. And then they throw it in manual mode because they think that's like the professional mode. And then they just leave all the bells and whistles behind, all the things that it can actually do. For instance, I'm a big fan of aperture priority mode, particularly on a wedding day. If I'm traveling in and out, inside and outside a lot, having a camera that's reliable and can handle that with a large dynamic range in case something misses to save a photo is really important to me. So things like auto ISO and aperture priority are frequently switched on my camera depending on the, the situation. So you know, a lot of people, I joke, well, they'll spend $3,000 on the newest camera body or more and then use only $500 worth of the, of the camera. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, you know, look into it. There's so many more things that your camera can do. It's box with a hole in it. And people are treating $6,000 camera. You know, found myself in a situation where I don't have a tripod, but maybe my camera has an interferometer inside of it. Well, I can still shoot, you know, like a still tripod required photo and I couldn't do that if I didn't know how the camera worked. Exactly. And I think, too, that we have all these bells and whistles, and those bells and whistles can break. The more bells and whistles, yeah. the more things that can break. So I think it's very important to invest in what you think you're going to use, but give yourself a room to grow. You have to be able to grow into it. So we have, we have our two bodies. We have our two lenses. Now what are we sticking in there? How important is it to, again, you invest all this money in these cameras. Yeah. Let's put a $2 CF card or SD card. Yeah. How yeah. important is it that we don't use a $2, you know, card media in there to make something work? So again, yeah. how important is it to have these accessories that we marry together to go with our investment that basically is the tools of our trade? Yeah. You know, if you buy a you know, $5,000 camera that's known for its ability to take rapidly fast photos of high quality and high accuracy, but you put a really slow memory card in there, all of a sudden your burst rate goes from you know, a boastful 11 frames per second down to two frames per second, which means the difference between a machine gun or a tick, 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 right. tick. And you, know, you could be missing key nuance moments in between those things. So if you don't have a faster memory card, which is usually the, the weak spot in a lot of new photographers arsenal because, uh, well, that's maybe, maybe not so much now, but a year ago, two years ago, because memory was kind of expensive. Yeah. You, know, you look at a memory card and you'd be like, oh, it's 64 gigs for like a hundred bucks. I don't know if I can swing that. Nowadays they're giving memory away. Like you, right. you, you can buy really fast cards for 30 bucks. Um, 
if, if you're doing SD or something like that. But yeah, so having a, having the, the right card allows you to actually access all those bells and whistles. There's one bells and whistles that while you're talking, it reminded me of um, sometimes people could be scared of cameras and not look at certain brands because right. of some of those bells and whistles. And for me, I used to hate the articulating screens and cameras. I, I used to think, oh, that's to me, that's just a weak spot. Like I know how hard I am with my cameras. If I had a screen that came out on hinge and then maybe the hinge can turn. So now the hinge is even smaller. Like that's just going to break. I'm going to, I'm just going to rip the thing off and we'll just shoot viewfinder. Right. It turns out now I love it. I've, I don't even look through my viewfinder anymore. I'm only looking at my live view screen. And now that I have an articulating screen, I don't have to lay on the ground quite as much as I used to. Right. I can just put the camera down, point the screen at me and I can see what's going on. Um, so those things like those are bells and whistles that maybe you can look at and not appreciate and then learn to appreciate as you give the tool a chance. Um, you know, you can use a wrench as a hammer all day long, but right. once you get a hammer in your hands, you're like, oh, this is way easier. Like I should have been doing this all along. Exactly. You could do that with a wrench, but it's not designed for it. And I think too, it's like with all the accessories, we have these great cameras, we have these great lenses. You talked for a minute about going to Sigma. How important is it now to have the brand lens of the body with the brand lens of the lens? Is there ways that we can venture off? How important in your opinion is that? Yeah. Um, I think there is, um, there's some power in sticking to a, a single brand like Canon, the, the new cameras, like say like the, um, the EOS R, which is their new mirrorless. Um, you know, if you pair that with their newest RF lenses, some of the new lenses have their own like usable turnable, um, dials on the actual lens body. So say you can change the shutter speed and aperture with your fingers here, rather than clicking another button to change your ISO, you can do that on lens, uh, which is honestly kind of a throwback to film days. There were a couple right. cameras that were toying with that. Even with iFocus, Canon used to have a, a film camera that would track your eyeball and wherever you looked, it would focus the, the lens. It was pretty rad. So some of that's kind of all coming back and giving another shot. Well, none of the other brands are on that yet. Like Sigma doesn't have that. Fuji doesn't have that for a Canon mount. Um, so yeah, as, as the other brands grow, I think they will. You'll find other cameras jumping on. So there's some benefit, but personally, I love mixing them. Like I shoot Sigma glass on my Canon. I shoot Leica glass on my Canon. I shoot Canon glass on my Leica all the time. Um, so yeah, being all over the place, there's some value in trying new things. I used to have this, I would joke, it's like, um, like a hacked version. It was my Leica SL with an adapter. So it would go from the... SL mount or the L mount to an M mount, which is another like a proprietary. Sorry, I'm getting really geeky here all of a sudden. To an M mount, to an M mount, to an EOS mount. And then the EOS mount was on my 45 tilt shift. So I could have this 45 manual focus tilt shift to give me a unique look to my uh, Leica SL that nobody else in the world had tried yet. <laughs> you know, I could pretty confidently say that. Um, so sometimes intentionally looking outside of your brand can give you a look that no one else has even imagined yet. Right. Um, so I, I think it's important. There are some benefits, but there's also immense benefits to trying new things. Well, and it goes back to the fact, you know, if you invest in that camera body, beat the crap out of it, you're yeah. going to have it for, you know, it's going to go, it's going to change, it's going to evolve. But if you get really good glass that continues to work for you, it, it will be the workhorse. So, you know, yeah. you just, you marry those lenses. And as we talk about going forward, a lot of these are going to fit on different brands. So as you evolve, yeah. you're still going to have the glass that you fell in love with to yeah. go on 
the new kid in town or to go on the new girl you want to start dating, right? So you just yeah. have that in your arsenal. So now we talk about flashes and everything else. We know we're going to have to have them. Same thing. Do we yeah. stick to brand flashes? Is it okay to go off? And by all means, you feel free to use. I tagged most of your mm -hmm. sponsors in your yeah. Instagram. Uh, nice. I think I forgot a couple, but you know, I tagged them because that's what we yeah. do. We want to share what we do. So yeah. what is some of the reasons you choose to use those equipment, that equipment versus a Canon flash for $700 versus something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Goodness. That's, <clears throat> that really is the crux of it for a lot of my decisions is yep. what's my ROI. You know, if the cost is this much, will it bring me this much? And sometimes the answer is just a simple yes. So I don't even blink like, yeah, this is what it costs, but I know it'll bring me this much business or bring me this much marketing content, blah, blah, blah. And it's not even a second thought, but sometimes it really is, you know, which one of these flashes are going to make my life easier and right. better? Which ones, even though this one might cost $200 and be 90% of what I need it to be, this one's 100% of what I need it to be, maybe even extra bells and whistles that I'll never even touch, but it's four times the price. Is that little 5% difference worth the exorbitant price tag? And a lot of times, sometimes it's a resounding yes, and sometimes it's a big goofy no. <laughs> you don't need a thousand dollar flash to do something that a two hundred dollar flash does reliably and consistently as well um so like my flash company that i personally use is called geek Odo. um they're an awesome company uh, they but they play nice with other brands so i also i started with young Nuos. well i started with canon and those things i went through those things like tic tacs they their qc was not up to date and <laughs> it was quite expensive so then i went with the knockoffs the young Nuos, and i love those things because i could break them. I could drop them. An assistant could explode them or I could hand them like, Hey, you know what? Here's off camera flash. Just take this. And I'd give it to friends. Right. Cause it wasn't that expensive and I could replace them and buy a new one. Um, but then I went from there to like Godox, which is definitely higher quality. And you know, they've got their sister brand of flashpoint through Adorama and those are great. So I had some Godox triggers. But then I heard of Geekodo, which did a lot of things the Godox brand was doing but just in a slightly different form factor that I liked better. You know, some right. of the, the handles that, they, that you could use and you could pass it to an assistant. It made more sense. Um, just how the modeling light was working and those things, when that came out, I found out it worked well with the other brands like Godox. Well, and it was really easy to marry the two systems. So for me now switching almost exclusively to geek Odo, I still have Godox for a few things. Um, so I think brand, and uh, brand like um, loyalty is kind of important in the flash realm, mostly because triggers are brand dependent. So right. if, you, if, if you don't find something like a Geekodo that allows you to use a Godox flash, you know, then you're out of luck. You got to buy a Geekodo trigger or sorry, I meant to say trigger. So if you don't have a flash that can communicate, you got to stick with the brand that can communicate. That's the short. And, and I think too, if uh, you know, talk about going geeky, it's, it's if you look at wedding photographers on a Saturday. So engaged couples that are listening in, I don't know how many engaged couples might jump into this particular yeah. episode, but if you're here, I want to remind you that, you know, A, you've just heard a lot of reasons of why there might be a couple extra dollars for what wedding photographers charge. But sure. also, if you're at a wedding and you're there, I want you to look at the photographers. How many photographers actually have the name brand flashes? Now, Nikon makes a pretty dang good, you know, flash yeah. system, but how many? You know, I started my career as a sports photographer, so the joke always would be is, you know, look at all the white cameras, look at all the white yeah. lenses on the field. You know, yeah, hence I got the big canon. 600s because that's what delivered. So, yeah. but we weren't using the Canon lighting. We were using something totally different, right? 
So it goes, I think people use things that work. And if you see things that work, that's why it works because it's reliable. And I'm going to tell you, you know, other photographers that are listening, and I don't care what stage you're at. If you go drop in six and $700 flashes, the next wedding, you have to book a wedding and a half just to recoup. <laughs> I don't care how much insurance you carry, you know, but, yeah. but you have to think about that. And again, when you get the flash that works with the body, work with it for a while. I don't yeah. think that if you get something that's working until you get that creative itch or you've done it for a while, you don't need to be changing. Get with yeah. a system that you grow into and mm-hmm. that will help you grow. So now for we sure. have all our flashes and we have all our bodies. Take us now into why we should maybe have mirrorless along with it. Can we shoot regular along with mirrorless and will you ever Mm -hmm. go mirrorless all the way? I, for the record, have been mirrorless for the last couple of years. I'm a Fuji girl and I love it. I used to, I used to lug my, I remember the last one I did was at the Mac house down here in Savannah for four weddings. I was lugging on my canning gear, had all my Pelican case is in there. Yeah. The last two I never, and I thought that's it. I've never went to it. So therefore, it's now time for me to pivot. And going back to yeah. what we said earlier, I sold two or three bodies and bought seven lenses and two more bodies in the Fuji, yeah. which is amazing. But my gear worked. I keep good care of my gear. I beat the crap yeah. out of it, but I knew there was still life for somebody else. So, yeah, you know, our love affair, our love affair is going to mirrorless. Good, mm-hmm. bad, what's Bud Johnson think? So I personally, I'm trying to think, I don't think I have a single DSLR anymore. Um, I have SLR and I have like, you know, film cameras. Right. Um, so I still have that single lens reflex system yeah. and I still use the mirrors and all that stuff. But um, no, the idea of mirrorless, of course, it just means it doesn't have that prismatic mirror to bounce the image into your viewfinder. Now it's just directly onto your sensor. Um, so I've been shooting like that even when I had DSLRs because I like the live view. So even if I had an SLR, DSLR, I would frequently hit live view, flip the mirror up and just shoot like that anyways. Um, so I've kind of already been howling along mirrorless for a while, but now I've switched. The Leica SL is actually one of the first incredible mirrorless cameras that came out like five, six years ago. Um, but now I shoot with the Canon uh, EOS Rs um, and they're both mirrorless cameras and they're really easy to adapt. So I can actually still shoot all my old lenses that worked on DSLR that I purchased for my DSLR system adapts perfectly to the uh, mirrorless system. Um, when you get rid of that mirror there between the image and you, you actually have a lot more space um, for other lenses. You can put adapters on and the camera can handle that. So it kind of opens up the world into other lenses. And you think we're going to stick with mirrorless for a while. What are some, that's a couple of the, uh, the questions that came in for you. We'll, we'll throw a yeah. couple in here now. About Please. two or three of those questions were, how do you think we're going to grow fast? In the mirrorless or do you think we're going to sit for a while um we got stagnant with just the, the old digital cameras for a while nothing yeah. changed then we yeah. obviously the change went to digital so do you think we have a year or two isn't is it too early to jump on the bad wagon and if i'm jumping no. where do you think i should begin yeah i think um no i think mirrorless is is definitely here to stay and i think we're going to see more people you know, get them as the other ones kind of die out. So like if you bought, say you bought a 5D Mark IV, you know, a top of the line Canon SLR, digital SLR camera, you know, that thing's going to last you for a couple of years, particularly if you don't beat it up like Bobby and I, you know, maybe yeah. you take, maybe you baby it, it always goes back in its case. Maybe it's some bubble wrap, you know, if you, if you really take care of it, goodness, that thing could last you 20 years. And if you find the photos are still amazing, then why do you need to upgrade? But 
for the professional who's burning through 150,000 actuations in a, in a year, you know, you're, you've already retired your digital SLRs because you've had them for 12 months right. and now it's time for something new. So I think the benefits of picking up a mirrorless camera are not only just for the, the, um, the, the brand scalability so you can try new lenses and things, but it is, it can be a little smaller. It can be a little easier on um, the pocketbook and your back. Um, sometimes the bells and whistles that they can put in a mirrorless system, it's almost like a little computer right. instead of a camera. It's like a computer that can take pictures, not a camera that's kind of like a computer. Like it's the bells and whistles are pretty incredible. So you can do a lot with them. So once you see what, what's out there, it's like, well, why not choose one of the new mirrorless options? Um, I think DSLR just still stick around for a little while. Um, maybe part of it's nostalgia. Some of it might be because it is tried and true. They work um, a little less battery um, requirements um, because it's just the physical movement. Uh, even some of the old film cameras, you might uh, come to mind too, like the one I showed you before, right. that Mamiya. It can shoot uh, mechanically without any battery. You know, right. at four hundredth of a of a second, it'll shoot no matter what, even if the battery's dead. So there might there's still some benefits to having the old, you know, click clack of a mirror that can still allow you to take a photo. So I think there's always space for the reliable SLR. Um, experience but I think most people are going to move to mirrorless not even for mirrorless sake it's just you know no one's like hmm let me find a mirrorless option right. give me all those they're just like what's the newest camera that's the one I want right <laughs> so and it just happens that, to me well look and look at you know look how fast film came back you know three or four yeah. years ago heck yeah. there's groups out there like looks like film this right. is this film is yet there's people shooting on film and you know yeah. and you and, you know I, I challenge a lot of the the newer photographers if you think it's expensive now Imagine if some yeah. of you guys that were shooting 20,000 images, I can't even imagine what you think your lab build, you know, because, yeah. and, and with respect to gear and cameras, you know, I'm that old school person. When I have, when I pick up my camera, you know, it's been privileged to tell some stories. Yeah. I, I remember that ding, or I remember that mm -hmm. it's, I, it's with me. And I know that it is, I mean, I don't have any duct tape around it. And I can tell you in my sports days, I had some duct tape on some things, right? We had duct tape around the lenses so that I wasn't yeah. that photographer that had the hood fall off on the ice rink and the, you know, the sure. hockey player come by and go, what the hell, time out? Yeah. But yeah. I mean, it's the stories, you know, our, our yeah. tools tell the stories that we got to capture. And so I, I like when it sees that. So one of the other questions that came in, it says, I want to get all geeky with Bud. Can Bud <laughs> take a few minutes and explain what this crop factor means? I'm, I'm <laughs> sure. on the verge of wanting to go mirrorless, but what's yeah. Crop factor mean? Yeah, man, I wish I wish I was sitting in front of my chalkboard. This would be way yes, easier exactly. to, uh, to write it out. Um, basically, the way to look at it is here. I'll even we can do this though. I'll take uh, one of these pictures down. This is with my my lovely wife, and my daughter. Yeah. So if this is you know, imagine that's happening in front of you. Imagine this is happening in front of you, and you pull the camera up and click. You take the photo, and this shows up on your sensor. You know, this is a photo, but. If I then crop it in, if I you know, decide to cut this image here, here, and here, and here, basically I've got a crop factor image of what I just took. So if my sensor was larger, I could get this image. But because I have a crop sensor, now I'm only get, seeing this image if I was in the exact same place with the exact same lens, with all, that's all I would get. So right. it's essentially, you're just kind of cutting off of the edges of a, of a large, larger um, sensor. That's all the crop factor is. So, it, it kind of confuses people because it looks like if you have a crop sensor um, camera and you're shooting at like eight, 18 millimeters, which on a full frame sounds crazy. That's really wide image. But on a crop factor, again, if, if this is the wide image 
a crop factor is only going to see this much of it. So it tricks you and you, it thinks you've got a 35 millimeter because a crop factor is usually 1.6 is the, is the ratio. So something wide all of a sudden becomes something close. Um, there are some cameras that even will have internal crop um, on purpose, like right. the Canon EOS R's. You can say, hey, I have a 35 millimeter on my camera, but I want it to look like it's a 50 millimeter. And you can say, okay, switch it to crop factor of 1.6. Now, in my opinion, it's goofy because all you're doing is losing megapixels at that point. It really is just slicing off the edges of your sensor, but it gives you that vibe. Some people like the look of that. Some people think it has less um, like warp. It has less of a vignette to it sometimes because you are trimming, oops, sorry, trimming off the edges. So crop factor really just means you have a smaller sensor to try to capture whatever's in front of you. Your full frame has more um, canvas size to see more of the image. That's really, really it. And the other questions came up sort of along that line is, do crop lenses fit on crop bodies? And again, in growing and falling in love with your gear and having a whole yeah. bunch of it, if I change to a mirrorless right now, are all my lenses gonna come along? Do I have to buy something else? How can I salvage the love affair I have with that lens that yeah. may not always turn out on the, on the mirrorless side how do I make that work or how, what's that transition look like? Yeah, there, there are ways to make a transition where you can still shoot with the mirrorless options and still use all the lenses that you've loved before. So even when you buy any camera, you know, for me, that's part of my research is, is this going to make all of my other purchases, all my other glass, memory cards, batteries defunct? You know, for me, like I loved sticking with the Canon ecosystem in terms of body because I have a pile of batteries that I know are reliable. And if I had to buy a whole new system, well, that's hundreds of dollars that are just sitting there. I can either sell or throw away or whatever, but now I can use them all. So batteries, uh, I switched to SD cards years ago. So I know that my current bodies use SD cards. So I don't have to buy all new cards. Um, my current bodies also use all of the glass, even the old glass from before. And some of the options you have are adapters. Like this lens I brought out earlier, this Leica um, 50 Summilux, this has actually got an adapter on it right now. This black part right here is an adapter and it's a uh, uh, yeah, Leica M mount, that's this glass, to an EOS R body. So because of this little $8 piece of black um, steel, I can get this you know, old, much older lens on my brand new camera body um, for eight, eight bucks. And I have all of the the benefits of, of this glass on my new body. So and you would need to buy one of, of those for each lens to go with your, so if you had some old, if you have some old Minolta lenses or you stumble yeah. on these, you know, people are stumbling on some of these old Min yeah. Minolta and Pentex lenses and in shops that are in really good shape. How do we get them to work on our new mirrorless cameras? Fuji, I love this little tiny Fujicon. It's yep. the Fuji Photo Film Co, oh yeah, Fujion. Um, 51.8, like it's an, it's, oh, I think this probably is older than I am, um, but paired it with this adapter, this Canon adapter, it yep. shoots brand new on my, my Canon lenses. So I guess I do love your, your love affair for Fuji. I have a little piece of it as well. Um, but this is just an old manual 50 millimeter that's ancient, but I remember using this exact same lens on my mom's DSLR when I was like 10. Like I remember this feeling, I remember the look and I was able to get that nostalgia, the, the glass that can change the image on my brand new sensors of the Canon. So this again was only like a $70 adapter. This is kind of more pricey, but it goes directly from this old, you know, probably 
50 plus year lens onto a brand new um, camera body. Perfect. So no, you can definitely bring stuff, bring stuff along for sure. But I think that's fun too. If you hunt and you find something, you know, again, yeah. buy $25 lens at the flea market, it's a paperweight, but my gosh, if you can get it to do something, how cool yeah. and fun is that? So uh, exactly. we have a photographer from Arizona who is asking, his name happens to be Mark, Mark in Arizona. Wanted to know, wanted to know digital cameras and especially Fuji cameras seem to be coming with a lot of presets loaded. Mm -hmm. How does Bud feel about the presets and the camera effects in a camera versus, you know, that's just different. But I will preface it by saying, remember in the old film days, guys, we know we bought Astra or we bought, you know, Tri-X. So Mm -hmm. you're trying to bring that full circle again, but I don't think it has the same effect. But, you know, you know, again, they're asking Bud. So what do you think? And is that a factor for buying a camera if it has that bell and whistle? I think the video guys have really got us beat here because they've been shooting on, you know, they'd have a camera body and they would run their HDMI out to another um, monitor that they could usually watch at the same time. Right. And that monitor is usually loaded with a particular preset, whatever they edit with. It doesn't mean it's finished. There's still some polishing to do, but now they can actually see the image with the applied preset to their video live. And that's, that's incredible. And you know, all these cameras have live view. Like I said, I shoot 99% live view anyways. Why not have at least my look and feel preloaded onto the camera? So I do that to an extent. I don't have an exact mirror image of my preset on the camera, but if I'm taking pictures, taking pictures, taking pictures, and I like, oh, Bobby, you just got to look at this photo. And I, I show it to you. Well, if it looks nothing like my portfolio, <laughs> like, right. okay, well, that's, that's pretty, I guess. Like I see the p- potential. I'm like, oh, I'm going to blur this out. I'll dodge here and you know, we'll add some vibrancy and some contrast, lower the, it'll be incredible. My clients don't have any idea what that means, yeah. but if I can show them back the camera, then there's extreme value in having a preset loaded on. Um, but if you're not a person who shows back the camera, then no. If, if you're not a person who thinks that's, you know, an added benefit, then it's not required by any means. Um, some people take it as like maybe a lazy way out sometimes. Like, hey, here's the preset. I take the picture. It's in JPEG and I don't even have to edit it. Here it is. It's done. And that's really rad. If you got a, a workflow like that, awesome. I'm not there. I have a little bit more of a delicate touch to my photos. Um, so for me, I shoot in a raw format anyways. And I get the, no matter what you shot it in, whatever preset you applied in camera, in raw, you're going to have much more information to deal with. So it's kind of like, um, yeah, it's, it's a lot more opportunity for editing. So I think it's really cool. I love the fact that you can put presets on cameras. I think in particular, the Fujis and the Sony, yeah. you can edit and load some of your own personal ones. I think that's really rad. You can create um, your own, you can create your own look. But again, yeah. Fuji really tends it to that. You know, it goes back to my days of, I just love having all my F-stops and all my shutter speed, you know, click, click, yeah. click. My fingers are doing the work. I don't have to, you know, look down. Um, but yeah, but then that brings up, um, we have another question from a video slash photographer. Yeah. My, I'm a husband and wife team. Um, what's Bud's view on the same camera bodies, one for video, one for film, and are the video cameras and the film cameras in the film cameras the same? Is there a reason why I should do something different? I think you basically, instead of film, I think it just means dual process. Yeah. Man, I think nowadays the camera bodies, um, it's funny even hearing that question as someone who has been in it for a while because people don't realize how good they've got it. Like, I mean, before it really was like, here is your body for, for photos. Here's your bodies for, for film. And they will never see each other. Like very different um, economies in terms of cost and ecosystems in terms of brand. 
and they've barely bumped into each other. If they did occasionally, like video would borrow a lens from still and, and stuff like that. Um, but nowadays, goodness, yeah, you can have an incredible system on a single camera and do both. There's a, a wedding photographer that I um, reach or look up to and I subscribe to his Patreon. His name's Taylor Jackson. He has this thing where he actually will photo and video at the same time. So he'll take pictures, picture, picture with a click of a button. He's shooting video right. and it's high quality. Now it's not the replacement of a dedicated cinematographer. He makes a point to say that and so do I. Um, but you certainly can get incredible cinematic footage out of what most people would assume is just a still camera. For instance, my Canon EOS R's, my mirrorless, that's what I shoot all my wedding work now on and all my YouTube videos. So I don't need a dedicated or different camera. It's all one package, really easy. And bringing us into COVID-19 where it's your in, yeah. what is Bud's opinion on safety features does he feel we're going to have to be having gloves on our camera? Are we going to have to be wrapping our cameras up? You know, are we worried about people touching our lenses? Um, you know, again, we're not lawyers. We're not, uh, we're not scientists. We have a crystal ball. This is Bud's opinion yeah. and my opinion on how we treat COVID. So listeners, please, you know, keep that in mind with your letters when you send it to me. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, any, every photographer should have either um, like a microfiber cloth within arm's reach or a stack of those like um, moist wipes. You can wipe something down. Uh, I'm notorious. I very rarely have lens caps. Like even the ones that yeah, I've shown you a couple times, grab yeah. they're they're not they don't even mismatch. They just kind of sit on them <laughs> and bounce right. around. Um, so for me, having that stuff handy is nice in case I do drop something in the dirt and need to clean it. Well, if you have that, it's super easy to also put in like a little thing of antibacterial or some like you know single use wipes, something like that. <clears throat> if if you're the type of person who touches their face a lot. I think I've touched my face like 50 times since talking to you. Um, if you're a person who is a close talker, if you're a person who um, says like, hey, can you hold this for me or can you get something for me? You, know, you just need to be aware that all those are touch points where you know not only is your safety a, an issue, but the safety of everyone else you're going to meet. And as a guy uh, with a family of six, you know, I've got ranges from eight down to one. I got kids I got to think Right. even though i think i can take a, a virus on the chin and i know that's going to be seem really insensitive i, I promise right. it's not a, i'm kidding but you know my kids i don't want to put them in the position to have to deal with those symptoms and or the consequences of that so being smart is important um i don't let it paralyze me i still work work hard i've had a couple of photo shoots in the midst of this and you know we all showed up to the shoot in masks and by right. the end of it we're like uh we all are fine right and slowly right. the masks disappear and and everyone's kind of easy and um, you know, we're not dumb. We're not like kissing at the end of the photo shoot or sneezing each other's faces. Um, but we're also trying to be um, real and smart about it as well. Exactly. I should, I always have a mask within arm's reach these days, but I can't tell you when, you know, I want to wear a mask for other reasons, big brother surveillance, all that like crazy right. libertarian stuff. I've got all those things in the back of my head uh, already. So any opportunity to say, yeah, let's go ahead and be smart about it. I will be. Um, but I guess like most Americans, I value my comfort and sometimes a mask is exactly. less comfortable. I also don't hear very well out of my left ear. I don't hear very well. So I need to see people's lips a lot of times to right. stay in conversations. And once you do this, you might as well not talk right. to me anymore. It's, it's really hard. Um, so that's one of those things that not a lot of people are talking about is people with bad hearing. Goodness, it's a whole other level of, I was once very personable and, t and easy to talk to. And now I'm, I don't know what you're saying. I hope right. it's a smile. I can't tell. Right. 
Um, well, so they yeah, said whoever invents the mask with the Bluetooth, they'll never have to work again. Yeah. Whoever invents with the built-in mic or a yeah. clear version will never, you know, and, and we know all this COVID things. We're going to have so many genius things yeah. coming up that are going to be a cause yeah. of this. Uh, one of the other questions that came up, and I think it's adorable. Uh, it just wrote Rick on his, on his, when he sent out a DM to me, it's just Rick. And it just says, can I be a true geek and a true professional if I use UV filters on all my lenses? <laughs> Um, yeah, I think so. I, I personally don't. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was a time I remember when I was like stacking them, I had, I'd have UV and then I'd have um, like a circular polarizer and then I'd have like just an extra one for protection. And I was like, why are all my photos so hazy and out of focus? Right. And it was one, it was just stacking these silly, uh, variable ND filters and stuff like that. There's a time when I shoot video, I'll use a variable ND filter. Usually though, I don't have anything on my lens. Not that I suggest that right. everyone knows their, where they are on the spectrum of um, uh, clumsiness. <laughs> you know, me for one, I don't, I don't call it clumsy. I'm just rough with my stuff. If right. I was clumsy, maybe I would take different precautions. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Is UV a problem in his photos? You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He said, it's like, you know, what's, do you need to have the extra polarizing? You don't live somewhere where we do. We yeah. have blue skies every day. Yeah, no, let's yeah. <laughs> yeah, if if you find it well, that's actually you mentioned blue, you know, that's a good point too. Like if your photos if you subscribe more to like the light and airy side, then it makes sense to have a blown out sky sometimes because right. that's not part of it. Um if you consider yourself more of like a colorful vibrant or maybe yeah, maybe authentic's not the right word, but accurate, you know, mm -hmm. trying to say like the sky is clearly blue to us. Can it be clearly blue in the photo? Maybe that does require a circular polarizer. Um so you can be smart about it. Uh, I, for one, have never had a problem like, hmm, a UV filter would have really helped here. <laughs> so Exactly. So Bummer. Because of that, I've never used it. Yeah. And it goes back, everybody, listeners, it always goes back to our couples don't have any idea. You know, yeah. I know we have Google and Siri and everything, and they all want to look things up, and, and it's apples to oranges. But I always, if anybody comes to me and says, oh, this photographer is using four of these kind of lenses, and what are you using? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to tell you to go use that photographer. I'm not going to even do it. Yeah. Um, well, then one of the other questions um, that comes up is, what is Bud's favorite specialty lens? And if I need a specialty lens, what is one I should get? Hmm, that's a, that's a, a good question. Like several lenses kind of came to mind. My favorite specialty, and it is by far probably the most like specific special use, uh, is a 45 millimeter tilt shift by Canon. Um, Canon makes a bunch of tilt shifts of varying um, focal lengths, but my favorite is the 45. Second close favorite is the 90. But the 45 tilt shift just gives a unique look that's hard to manage, hard to master, very hard to master, um, particularly for portraits. If you're taking pictures of stuff, macro photography, architecture, tilt shift is super easy. Well, not easy, but adequate for the job. Taking portraits of people, it gets really funky really fast and it's a very specific lens. And if it's overused, your whole gallery will look silly. Like why is everything out of focus up here and out of focus down here? And you've got this one line of focus on more than a few photos. It starts to look silly. So it's a very specialized particular lens that. And when would you use I that lens though? When would you, wedding photography wise, when would you have a 45 millimeter to shield that you need to go grab? When would you have yeah. to go? I need that in my bag. I'm going to use it. Now. I use it. For, for two main things. One is if I'm ever at an advantage in terms of height, so like um, St. John's Cathedral, I love going in the balcony up there and getting a tilt shift image from there because it just looks so unique, something so vast. Um, and when you apply the tilt shift to the, to the scene, it just gives it such a unique look. So I actually 
we're going to get really geeky here. I've taken the 45 tilt shift and I've framed an image, focused, locked to focus. And then I've taken multiple images around the entire scene and then stitched them together in post-production. So now I've got this mega Mondo photo of this tilt shift exaggerated effect that makes the people stand out. They look like they're um, like stop animation animation right. from like Mr. Rogers days, you know, like little tiny people in this big overarching out of focus scene. And it just, that to me is super cool. Very specific. <laughs> you don't use it for that one sort of, uh, situation. Another one is like Tybee Allen Wedding Chapel. I right. love that balcony up there shooting down and doing a tilt shift. It just makes everything look almost miniaturized, but still authentic. It just gives it a unique look. During couples portraits, occasionally if, um, if I need to blur like um, power lines out, Victory North kind of comes to mind. If you're shooting in the back courtyard and there's a lot of power lines, you can use a tilt shift and just shift it back a little bit. And all of a sudden, all those power lines kind of disappear. So there, it, it comes and goes. Um, usually if I've got more time to, it's not my first lens. Like, all right, we're starting couples portraits, pull right. up 45. That's not my first go-to. It's usually, okay, um, you know, we did our timeline. We, we scheduled this much time for family or for couples portraits. And look, we've got an extra five minutes. Let me go grab the 45. I bet we can do something cool. Um, so that's a very specific, very niche lens. But, but, don't, you hits, think, but don't you think that a lot of photographers, when you get going, want to come up with a signature shot? And that's one of the things that you can come up with and do. And yeah. again, you know, you heard Bud say it, you need to get your job done. But if you can yeah. squeeze these in and get this in, these are things that set you apart. And I think they, they also challenge us creativity. So it follows up on mm -hmm. your favorite special lens is what's Bud's favorite portrait lens for weddings. Favorite portrait lens, I would probably say, is the Leica Summilux um, 51.4. Um, and you can, that, it might come as a sticker shock if you just randomly Google that. Um, you can find them used on eBay, KEH, uh, and different places to bring some of the price down. But that lens in particular, it's a manual focused lens. It's an, it's an M mount lens. So it was originally built for the Leica M, uh, rangefinder system. So there's nothing automatic about it. <clears throat> if I put this on my camera and I take a photo, you know, I'm zooming the aperture ring is actually on the lens as well. If you can hear that click. Yeah. Um, you know, everything's on this particular lens. So, you know, after a while it becomes second nature at first though, it slows you down. Like we're going to be very intentional. We're going to be very deliberate. The photo is going to be artistic. Like you're actually spending time thinking about it rather than just Click, 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 the light's good. Click, click, move over here. Click, 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 all these are good. Cool, I'll find three out of that. And you just kind of move on. This one's very like, hey, the lighting works for this lens at this time and it's going to sing. It's going gonna, it's gonna to sing a pretty song for us. Um, so that one's my favorite. I really use that one quite a bit, actually. And I think it's that lens aperture, too. I think that aperture just, you know, it doesn't always have to be a portrait lens. It depends on right. what portrait you're trying to convey, what story you're trying to convey in that portrait. Um, I shoot portraits a lot at 35, to be honest. Oh, yeah. the, the Sigma 35 art um, tells a lot of stories as well. And there's very little, um, there's, there's nothing that can't be fixed in post in terms of like um, how it looks warped wise. If, if you're too close to somebody with a wide angle lens, they can look kind of distorted. That's really easy to fix in post-production nowadays. Um, particularly if you're shooting with a popular lens like that, Lightroom has you can switch it and say, hey, I shot this on the Sigma 35. Is, oh, well, this is what you need to do. Bloop, and it just fixes the vignette. It fixes the warp. Right. And so when I import my photos, I make sure that's checked. And it just it knows to compensate to an extent. 
with 35 and, again, and you want to use the right tool. I mean, you want to be creative, but you want your job first is to tell the story and, and document the moments and the time and deliver something that is meaningful to that couple. I mean, we can all take a portrait in the middle of the street, but these guys are dressed up really nice. So we need to make it extra special. <laughs> know yeah. the tool, you know, uh, we're moving on to what is, what are Bud's favorite Continuing education, where do I go to get all the geek knowledge? Some of the places that he goes to. Adding on to that, are there particular geeky technical gear workshops? Again, we're in yeah. COVID-19. I don't know if anything's happening. You can look <laughs> that up. But yeah, what, where do you sit, bud? Of course, your YouTube and Instagram. And yeah. you know, before we wrap up, we'll talk about your teaching and mentoring. But where sure. can people go? Where can they go and learn more about how to fall in love with their camera, get some good information, not just yeah. Google information, and then right. some workshops that you might recommend. And obviously if you're speaking somewhere coming up. Yeah, I have um, some opinions about that. So <clears throat> for me, you know, experience in a lot of ways is kind of like the harsh teacher. You know, you experience something and like, you know, you know, an oven, excuse <clears throat> me, a stovetop is hot, but if you put your hand on it, the experience says, hey, this is hot and you'll always remember that. That's a hard teacher. Right. Example is the, is the easy teacher. You see your big brother put his hand on the stovetop and he screams because it's hot. You know, you didn't have to do it. You know for the rest of your life. So for me with gear, if you can get some gear and just try it, I think that's going to educate you um, in a sense where you will always know how to work it. So, so try things, rent things, buy things, and just try it yourself. Just experiment. Um, that all being said, there's a website called SLR Lounge that – uh, a guy I know his, his name's Piger, so he uh, runs it with a team of incredible people. I cannot suggest enough to look at SLR Lounge from top to bottom in terms of gear. You can get as geeky as you want to get. You can get as philosophical as you want to get. Their business from top to bottom. If you want to become a professional wedding photographer, you need to, even if it's just the free resources, you need to know about SLR Lounge um, and their premium benefits are very inexpensive and are, you know, last a very long time. Um, so that would, if you're willing to drop a couple of dollars, I'd probably like maybe 300 bucks, probably less than 300 bucks would get you a premium membership to the entire website. And I can't tell you how beneficial that will be to your art, to your creativity, to your business and everything in between. Um, but there's so many free resources out there on YouTube. Right. Um, you know, a good self-disciplined person with a timer, maybe a, a wife or a friend or someone who's be like, Hey, don't waste all your time doing this check these things out. If you can dedicate yourself to looking for good resources, there are a lot of free resources out there. Um, workshops, conventions are awesome. I'm a huge fan of WPPI out in Las Vegas. Um, not only have I made some of my closest friends in the industry, but I've learned a lot from going right. there. Um, workshops are awesome. You know, I, I host a couple from here, uh, a couple every year, um, sometimes in the States, sometimes abroad, and those can cover a wide range of topics from Everything just, you know, how do you run a business? How do you talk to people to, hey, what F-stop should I keep this on at all times because of this light to get this flare, you know, this particular, you know, degree of sunset. So it can get really geeky really fast. Um, those person-to-person, face-to-face workshops are hard to beat. I mean, there's a lot of value. That means they're also usually more expensive, right. but, <laughs> but you learn a lot of those things if well, you want it's to. T- it's the tech and touch. I mean, it's, it's yeah. you know, 80% of conventions – are the same as 80% of virtual conventions. The 20% is what we have to figure out. And that yeah. 20% is usually people coming and talking to you and I over dinner and you and I go, oh my God, look what I just learned. And you paid yeah. me to be here because right. I learned so much when I go, yeah. when people go, hey, can we take you to dinner? Or can we have, I learned so much more 
from people. I'm like, this is a what bonus here, right? Yeah. Because it's that tech touch. It's that communication that we have to deal with. And so especially moving forward with COVID, I think we're going to see more and more. I mean, I know I'm doing more and more teaching this way and mentoring this way. Um, and it's just the way that it, that it grows. But I'll, I'll add on to, you can spend a lot of time following a lot of people with big numbers. And sure. there's been a lot of stuff going on in the last few weeks on, on Facebook and the last couple of days, especially just because somebody has five bazillion followers doesn't mean they're working in the industry. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I will go to my grave saying, I want to follow people that are doing the work. Yeah. I want to show me that you're doing the work and that you put the time in and blood, sweat and tears. Uh, yeah. And I don't want to just go see you because you're selling something. Sure. I want, I want the experience. I want to know that, yeah, Bobby, I dropped that lens or I did this, or these marks all came from hockey pucks that came across my forehead. When, when I yeah. tell that story, you know, um, and I want to talk the battles of why this is hard for women to get into. You know, when I started, it was all men. And right. I, in some of my, in some of my talking, I talk about, but the gentlemen that were there, I proved myself with that six, four, five. They're like, there's no yeah. way you'll be able to carry that up and down the big cathedrals. I ran circles around them, you know, yeah. I, and I did it. And it's, I got to see at the table. And the whole thing is, is pull your damn chair up to the table <laughs> and learn, you know, yeah. don't be intimidated. You know, you don't take criticism from people that you wouldn't take advice from. So yeah. go and meet and find and follow people like Bud. And that is going to dumb it down. I mean, he brings it down to a level <laughs> that makes sense. So one of the last questions, we got about six questions on, on this topic. Um, yeah. That'll be how we wrap up because I want to respect your time. It's technical business, one before the other, marry them together. How do I advance to get more gear and fall in love if I don't yeah. have my business in order? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. I was recently talking to a friend about that, and particularly in the light of the coronavirus and COVID 19, because so many small business owners have, for the first time in a long time, opportunity for this um, economic. Uh, loan, the EIDL loan. Right. So a lot of my friends are like, hey, I randomly got approved for a good chunk of change. Should I even think about uh, loans and going into debt for my business and things like that? And for the longest time, the clear answer was no, that's ridiculous. Like just be scrappy, take right. some small assignments, save up your money and figure it out. And that's been my answer for a very long time. This does change things. This is a pretty incredible opportunity for small business owners to get and secure a really uh, decent sized loan for a very small rate. And you really could um, kick off a business. Now the loan's not for that to start right. a business. Right. It's for normal operating costs, but man, it can give you a little bit of breathing room to take some chances and to try things that you were maybe already planning to do, but because you lack the capital immediately, maybe you couldn't do it. So I know it's kind of a, a broad stroke answer to the question, but my original question outside of COVID and Corona and stuff like that is just be scrappy, take small assignments with the bite-sized bite chunks of gear you have now and keep adding. And really that's kind of what I did. Uh, that way you don't go into a bunch of debt. You don't have credit cards that you have to pay off, loans to parents or friends. If you're willing and you're responsible enough to do those things, great. Do them correctly. Uh, if you are like me, you know, I tend to be this aloof creative type, so to speak. <laughs> it doesn't mean I'm very good with money. So my wife yeah. thankfully is. Right. Um, so, so for me, it wouldn't have been smart to like, yeah, let me go get like a, a, a HELOC on my house and, and get, you know, 30 grand and start a business. Like, no, I would lose, chew through the 30 grand and then I just have monthly payments for the rest of my life to pay the right. silly loan off. So it's not for everybody. But <clears throat> I would say 
you can accomplish a lot with a single body and a single lens, like family portraits, you could very easily with one body and one lens, because if you mess up at a family portrait, it's a huge bummer and a giant ego kick, but you can recover from that. A wedding is a different story. Don't mess up somebody's life. Don't mess up somebody's you know, memories. That's, don't, don't be silly about that. If but, you do that, you will have nothing but it. You will be selling gear because you will never yeah. be working again. <laughs> yeah. So like family portraits, even engagement sessions, like you could, you could become the engagement gal. You know, like, Hey, I just do engagements and only engagements. Like, Hey, you can go to other photographers and say, are you booked up? Like, I would love to shoot some of your engagements. Do you have any, like, do you have any things that you can send my way and just become the engagement person and shoot, shoot, shoot that. And, and before you even book a wedding, and, you know, even then after a while, a couple hundred bucks times 10 adds up real fast. And now you can buy some of those dream bodies or dream pieces of glass um, just by kind of keeping this hobby. And really, you could do that in a month's time. Like if right. you work hard for a month, you could find yourself, you could fund yourself almost an entire wedding kit just by doing stuff on the side. And I'm super happy to talk in more detail with any of your listeners, anybody They can always hit me up and ask some questions. That's really the scrappy type of hard work you have to do. Um, for a multitude of other reasons, like not just gear, you know, one right. that can help you acquire gear, but it also, you know, hones your talent. You meet vendors, you become, you've got word of mouth, you've got experience, you've got content for social media. Like it's not just, can I make a couple extra hundred bucks to buy a lens, but now can I really actually start this business um, authentically? So I think they go on at the same time. Um, everybody's a little different and you could secure a loan and jump into gear up to your eyeballs and Right. Make it all back and, and pay it off quick. That's great too. Um, I don't think that's for everybody. Exactly. Especially now and in these uncertain times. Yeah. So I'm always about numbers and, and, and everything. So I want five. I want yeah. five things that you can tell our listeners that they can do and that are okay to have a love affair with their gear. Five yeah. things they can do to achieve gear that will help them continue to grow and build whether okay. it's going get something, maintaining something, whatever it is, five things that these guys can work on as homework and become attainable in doing. Let's see. So five things. One is um, I would take a, a healthy inventory of what you currently have. I think people will be surprised at what they can accomplish with what they already own. You know, even a kit lens can still surprise you. Um, you know, throw on a $15 macro filter from Amazon on a kit lens and boom, you got yourself what could have been a thousand plus dollar lens that you had to buy just for macro, like ring photos and stuff that now you've got, it was just a piece of junk lens that you're going to throw away anyways. And now you've got, now it's salvageable. So take a good inventory of what you've currently got. Sell all the junk. <laughs> if you sell yeah. all the junk, all of a sudden you've got some pocket change to make your first rental. So uh, sell all the stuff that you know you're not using. If, if you, it's uh you might've, in the past, you know, you've got a closet, you take all your clothes and you put them all on hangers and make sure they're facing one way at the end of the year. If any of, you know, all the hangers, they switch them as they use them. I'm like, okay, I didn't use any of those clothes. They all got to get out of here. Right. Same thing with your gear. If you've got an inch layer of dust on your, on a lens, kick, kick it to the curb. You don't use it, sell it. Even if it's for 20 bucks, if it's a cheap thing, now you've got some pocket change to buy a better memory card, uh, you know, an adapter. Now you can all of a sudden offload two cards instead of one after a wedding. There's so many little things you can get. Um, so taking inventory, selling your junk. Um, another one would be like asking the people you look up to some of their favorite purchases. Um, you know, we're all going to resonate with different photography skills and, and, you know, different parts of the industry that are important to you. you know, maybe someone's like, dude, I want to take pictures of stuff, like all the beautiful cutesy wedding things and just all the sparkles and all the macro, like how do I accomplish that? Well, you wouldn't go to me and 
I, I, if I told you buy a yeah buy a Leica 50, you yeah. know, the, the minimum focus distance on this is over three feet. So it's, you can't shoot any macro with this ever. You can't even try. So you got to find the people you like. So someone like that might say, hey, get the 100 macro, you know, 2.8 from either Nikon or Canon, and you'll love it. Okay, well, you ask the right person to get the right stuff. And, and go to those people. And you're, you're only going to do that if you follow their social or social media, if you follow the Facebook website and stuff like that. So um, cold calling photographers sometimes goes really well and sometimes it doesn't, but you'll never know until you try. So reaching well, out. And, to, I, and on that, I'll add right here is, is ask somebody, not how you do what you do, but why you do what you do. You yeah. know, phrase the question. You know, if you come to me and say, hey, Bobby, I love that look. Is that a lens? And is that why you use that? Why is that? Because yeah. you're, you're not going to see all that pretty detail from me. I'm that people person. Remember, I'm that hockey photographer that's going to get that blood smacking against the wall. Yeah. Hence why I get hired by grooms because they're like, shit, she can, stop a, she can stop a puck in midair. She will stop us walking down the damn aisle, right? So, yeah. again, if you come and say, hey, bud, why is it you, your pictures look like that? What is it about that lens? I don't need to know how you do it. Mm -hmm. But So, listeners and, and photographers that are listening in, videographers too go that at, go that way not tell me how you do it or show me but what's the why behind why you chose that yeah. piece of gear so i didn't mean to interrupt you but i really wanted to get yeah. that point across because i think that's what scares a lot of people off it's a but you have to ask but people For are sure. so afraid to ask but it's how you ask the question i i can't tell many how many times i'll get a message to say hey i'd love to take you out to coffee and ask you how you did this Right. And like they already shot themselves on the foot because I don't drink coffee. But right. one person said, "Hey, I want to buy you a twelve pack of Diet Dew and ask you yeah. a question." I'm like, yeah, sure, I got time for that. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, knowing your audience, knowing what time they have and can do. Because um, yeah, I try to be as open book for anybody. But you're right; sometimes it is limited in terms of time and and what we can accomplish. Um, but yeah, those those three big ones are really big. Um, another one would be to, to rent gear. Um, it, I'm not a huge like rental guy because. To me, it kind of felt like taking a handful of cash and just throwing it to someone else. But truthfully, I have rented a few things. I'm yeah. like, I wonder if, you know, would I prefer the 45 over the 90 tilt shift? Well, let me rent the 90. It's, you know, much more expensive lens. I'm not going to buy a $4,000 lens just willy-nilly, but I could rent it for 80 bucks on a weekend. Right. Give it a shot and like, okay, now I can, can def definitively say I don't like it. Well, that saved me you know, thousands of dollars and the headache of buying it and keeping the box somewhere and selling it and you know, all the rest. Um, so renting stuff is, is a really good opportunity. And also, man, just trying different brands. Um, I think as things do move towards mirrorless and a lot of the brands are almost getting penalized if they don't play nice with other people. Um, I don't mean literally, there's no like consortium of photographers wa wagging the finger at somebody, but you know, if your camera lens plays nice with so many other brands, just by sheer numbers, they're going to try more. So maybe it's worth trying a different brand of lens. Maybe it's trying to get into Sigma. Tamron is one to really watch right now. They've got some incredible lenses that have come out in the last six to 12 months that fit all of the major brands. Um, Sony, you know, Sigma has its own uh, camera body now. So, you know, be willing to try those few things. For me, like what made me stick out in Savannah, in my opinion, is partly the gear. You know, no right. one else that I know of in our zip code shoots with, um, the Leica glass. I don't know anybody who does film or not. Um, so giving that unique look and unique flair, that slightly subtle, different bokeh signature, um, all adds up. So being willing to try something new and maybe something that 
before was out of your price range, but maybe you've been able to squirrel away some money or maybe it was just piddly. Like I'm not going to buy a $25 thrift store lens, like you said before, but you might find all of a sudden that's your, that's your hitter. That's your signature. That's your magic lens. And it was 30 bucks at Goodwill. So being willing to try something else, um, of all spectrums, cheap or expensive, I think will allow you to, to have a custom gear journey just for you. And I think that's it. Find a bag. So when somebody says to you, what's in your bag, these are the tools I use. It does you no good to have thousands, thousand dollars in your bag. If you don't even take them on, try them. And I say, if you've got that 45 tilt shift lens and you make one look every weekend, that's what sets you apart. And you know, Bud and I are both transplants to this market. And so we, our talent alone wouldn't always get us where we need to do, but we both do something different. And that's the key. It's okay to do that. Find your gear, fall in love with your gear, and then you can work on your business. And I, I, and I, hate, to, I hate to say I don't want to do a gear talk, but I wanted to do a gear talk because we talk about it like it's an extension of if you have this or that. It is find yeah. what you want. And your business will grow because if you know these tools and you use these tools and they make you do your job better, you will have a wonderful career. You will have a one. This is a wonderful career to be into COVID or no COVID there's fab on the other side of this. And it's the opportunities are here and we know we have to figure out the opportunity that we might have to pivot or we might have to do, and we all have the opportunities. So you might sell the lenses you're not needing right now, or you the gear. So you know, listeners, hopefully today, and I know you did, you heard Bud, drop some numbers, you drop some lenses. You're all going to be Googling and checking <laughs> it out. But what you heard him say was, find what you love, fall in love with it, and then use it to better enhance your career. So remind everybody, Bud, all the places they can find you. Again, Tina put in the show notes. But from your yeah. voice, where can they find you? And anything that you want to share with them or something special you got coming up, do that now for us. Yeah, I appreciate that. The the easiest place is just budjohnson.com. Uh, it's my website. It's got all our, all of our information there. Um, Instagram is probably where I'm most active. Uh, I took a little bit of a hiatus during the Corona stuff just because we were spending so much time with family. Uh, so we're getting jumping back into that head first and kind of ran kind of a fun experiment, honestly, because I was so addicted to Instagram yeah. and it brought us so much business. I kind of wanted to know what happens if I pumped the brakes intentionally and didn't do it like a uh, missing an action type of way, but right. very intentionally stepping away. And uh, we've still noticed a lot of respect and a lot of um, uh, flexibility there. So all that to be said, Instagram is a great place. Uh, it's just at Bud Johnson photo. Um, but yeah, on YouTube, you can always type in just Bud Johnson and some stuff will show up there. Uh, speaking arrangements, everything is <laughs> it's kind of in the air with Corona. Right. So all the normal workshops, uh, actually, I know you had Wendy on recently uh, for our Instagram workshop. That's pause we don't have a date yet for that just because we're waiting on things um all the big conferences that i normally get to speak at are kind of scratching their heads wondering what will happen um so as we know more we'll be sharing that on social but um if anybody ever wants to talk we we do a lot of these like zoom calls and facetime calls um, with people so yeah anybody can always reach out to us email is great just bud at budjohnson.com yep uh yeah whatever's easiest for everybody we're we're happy to chat and love to meet new people And like I said, everybody, follow him for the wealth of information that he shares. Um, He'll warm your heart with his creativity. He's a wonderful storyteller, but don't be Bud. Be yourself (laughs) with the twist of Bud. Use what he taught you today. Go and try some of those lenses. You know, again, 
you heard about rental, you heard about finances, but fall in love with your gear. And we're both here to tell you that it's okay to fall in love with your gear. And don't let anybody tell you not. If you need 75 lenses, you use 75 lenses. If you need yeah. three, by all means, you do three. Thank you, Bud, for spending it's your hour and a half with us. I totally appreciate it. Everybody follow Bud. And you remember, thanks for pushing that listen button. We appreciate it. Lead with your heart. Go out. And remember, no matter where you are, I am cheering you on. Everybody go out. Keep being fabo. Thanks, Bud. You're the best. Thank you. For more information about today's episode, check the show notes at BeFabopodcast.com. Hey, while you're there, don't forget to subscribe and sign up for Monday Motivations, delivered hot to your inbox. And there'll be more. Can we say more? Till next time, be fabo.